0: Hello everyone, this is Clayton Criswell out of Tuscaloosa, Alabama. This is my second debate with Paul Martin out of Australia. I highly enjoyed our debate on the Marian dogmas, and this debate is on salvation, and Paul Martin asked me a while back before we both started on this what the title of this would be. He asked me, would it be faith alone versus faith and works, and I told him no. The title should be, Thy Grace Alone versus Faith and Works. So, I'm titling this, Thy Grace Alone versus Roman Catholicism. I am presenting to you today what God's Word has to say about His salvation for His children. The main difference you will find between the Word of God and Roman Catholicism is the grace of God. I am mainly going to save exposing the Catholic system in my rebuttal and closing because the main focus is what Scripture says, which contradicts what Romans said and continues to say to date, even to the point of contradicting themselves with Francis. In Scripture, God's grace is unmerited. In Roman Catholicism, His grace is contingent upon the individual's action through the prescribed sacraments. In fairness, let's see what the Roman Catholic Encyclopedia has to say on sacraments. A sacrament is, as I quote, not simply a function or ceremony, because it is an outward sign instituted by Christ to impart grace to the soul. So as we see already, the sacramental system lives off the idea that God's sovereignty is not based on his freedom of choice, but his omniscience of our supposedly free choices which subjects the choice God makes, which makes his freedom of choice absent from the situation. Basically, God has all knowledge, but he is not the cause of all the knowledge he has, which is false. Absolutely false. In Hebrews 4.3, we see that God finished all his work from the foundation of the world. This is why you see salvation being described in past, present, and future tenses. When it comes to true sovereignty, we must understand and accept what all sovereignty entails. Sovereignty is when you are completely unopposed by anyone or anything that is not sovereign. When it comes to the sovereignty of God, it reveals that if God has a free will, then it is impossible for humans to have a free will as well. However, the Roman Catholic Church insists upon the existence of a human free will, or their system would not work. And for example, even if God was out of the equation, and you had two people who had free will, if one person with free will opposes another who has free will, then there is no free will. Period. In either person. And that's the point. There is no free will, except in God. God has free will. We do not. All the decisions we make are from God. The faith, the repentance, the justification, the sanctification, the glorification of each of God's children is given to them as a gift by God. It's called unconditional election. It's the only way you have unconditional love from the Father, which I will touch on later. According to the Roman Catholic Encyclopedia, and this is a quote from the Council of Trent, which was conducted by excuse me, was directed by Jesuits because they needed a counter-reformation. I urge you to go research the Jesuits and figure out what equivocation means and casuistry, if I'm saying that correctly. C-A-U-S-I-T-R-Y Basically, they are crafty and basically lying they're, they're just liars they're, they're a combative force against the Protestant Reformation and they've had their hand in how the Protestant Reformation has expanded to pretty much being meaningless unless you just stick to scripture if you stick to any particular denomination in the world you're more than likely going to fall into the trap of the Roman Catholic Church. Um, For example, Presbyterianism. If you're a hardcore Presbyterian, yes, you'll look at Scripture, but you're going to hold to baptismal regeneration, primarily in infants. Same thing with Baptists, baptismal regeneration through water baptism. Those things are refuted in Scripture as being what baptismal regeneration means. But if you hold to these denominations, you're going to hold to these traditions. And Roman Catholic Church is huge on tradition. Huge. We see in the Council of Trent... It quite logically begins with the fundamental statement that original sin is weakened and deflected, but not entirely destroyed or extinguished the freedom of the human will. And we see that the council is in direct confrontation with the scripture by claiming people in general have a free human will. But in scripture, in Romans six twenty two through 23, we are either slaves to sin or slaves to Christ. There's no free will there. And they also claim in the quotation that original sin weakened and deflected the human will. But we clearly see several times in God's word that we were dead spiritually being in this subjection. We can identify this reality through Paul's letter to the Ephesians and Colossians in chapter 2. So whatever human will we do have, it is in total submission to God's sovereign free will. We are bond servants. Not only in the original language of the Greek, but logically, why wouldn't we be? We didn't choose to be here. God did. So whatever he wants to do with us is righteous because there is nothing unjust about God due to him not being subject not only to our frame of time, but the law that he created himself. There is no one, nor anything, that binds God to do or not to do anything. He literally does as he pleases. Jesus, being God in the flesh, fulfilled the law he subjected humans to. Humanly speaking, by predestining himself to be as a human during his earthly lifetime, God showed that in Christ, who is himself, when we die, we will rise again as he did, being that he is the firstborn from the dead, rising from the dead on the third day, and he is the head of the assembly of the firstborn already enrolled in heaven. When it talks about in Scripture that in uh, Romans 9 6 24, which I'll touch on later you are created either for God's wrath or God's mercy. But the thing about it is, He created us all alike in the sense of our flesh. So according to the flesh, we are all destined for God's wrath we are all destined to die in our sin in the second death and that's where the wages of sin is death comes from it doesn't mean that you die a physical death because there is a rapture but it does mean that if you die in sin That means you're dying the second death, which is being thrown in the lake of fire. That is your penalty. But God, before the foundation of the world, made a decree to have people saved from that by Him. Through the Savior. Now, to better understand this, I would like to present the possibilities because there's only so many. And there's six of them. One of these six is what Scripture says. The other are just opinions. Now, you may recognize that all of these have been used by people who claim themselves to be Christians. Um... Maybe even some atheists. But one of these is scriptural. And we're going to see that. So number one, God created us all for wrath, yet chooses a few for salvation. Number two, God created us all for salvation, yet only chooses a few to actually have it. Number three, God created us all for wrath and gives everyone salvation instead. Number four, God created us all for wrath and gives everyone wrath. Number five, God created us all for salvation, but gives everyone wrath. Number six, from the foundation of the world, before the foundation of the world, God created people for his mercy and for his wrath based on his own purpose, which is to show his glory. Now, before we begin this, do you notice who is not involved in the decision-making in each of these possibilities before we even look at what's scriptural? is the human. So already, the Roman Catholic system is in trouble. Because, as we saw earlier, the Roman Catholic system would not work unless the human had the decision to be saved or not. God has the final say, and we are about to see how he had the choice even before the foundation of this world. Here's a question. What is a Savior? A Savior is one that saves from danger or destruction according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. It's one who brings salvation. Salvation is what the Savior is doing, which is the act of saving from danger or destruction. Most people who claim Jesus as their Savior do not understand what salvation is at all. Salvation is not an object. Salvation is an action of mercy from Christ himself. So those predestined for mercy rather than wrath are the ones who receive salvation. Because that is an act of mercy. most people who want salvation want to achieve it they want to hold to it but it cannot be achieved it's not something you hold on to and use christ proved this himself we read from hebrews 9:11 through 14 that only god himself in jesus christ through his blood could any human in history secure eternal redemption for himself? So Jesus Christ did achieve eternal life, but he only did so because he is God in the flesh. If Jesus was not God in the flesh, then my entire statement is refuted. But since he is God in the flesh, there's no other way around it. No human can achieve salvation. It can only be given to them by God through Jesus Christ as a gift. And we'll read from Hebrews nine eleven through fourteen. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places So the blood sacrifice of the Old Testament was only a pointer to the greater and the only sacrifice that matters and that is God sacrificing himself as Jesus Christ on the cross spilling his blood. Now I ask, Why do we need a Savior? Because we need the purification of our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. If you look up the word sanctification in most dictionaries, it is the returning to the state of proper functioning. Those who are saved in the end are the ones who are sanctified. And um, you may hear a lot of times that sanctification is a process, and a way it is, but sanctification is not finished until Christ sanctifies us fully to make us holy and blameless, which is our proper functioning. Now, why do we need this? Because we are born spiritually dead in our sinful nature. And in this sinful nature, our just due is the second death. Which is the lake of fire. And the reason why is because in our sinful nature, our conscience is set on dead works. Which are not useful to the Lord. And understand the dead works here. Um, This is why atheists, anyone who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, can do good things. But they're not good works according to the Lord. They're dead works. Um, In Scripture, the ones who are saved the ones who are predestined for salvation are the ones who are given the faith that endures forever. And this faith produces our good works. And it's good works that we walk in. So it's not even good works that we conjure up in ourselves. These good works were predestined just like everyone else by God. And these good works are set apart from these dead works. So don't get them confused. The reason why the conscience in a sinful nature is set on dead works is because those who have a sinful nature are bloodstained. They are defiled. They are unholy. Which is everyone. Everyone. Until the Lord gives salvation on the day of. Now, with a holy and blameless nature... Only then can we please our Father in heaven. This is also why you'll hear things from Jesus saying, Whatever you ask of my Father, you shall receive. When we go to heaven, in our holy and blameless nature, we're going to feel more like we have free will than what we even do right now. Which is even more striking to me how all false religion in general and most Christian denominations they hold to something that is non-existent free will is non-existent in heaven as well however we're going to feel more like we have it but those who go to heaven know that they don't have it. They know that it's the will of their Father, the will of my Father, that we're even there. That we even get to be holy and blameless. Let alone do anything. Ephesians 2, 1-5 through is clear, and I quote, In our human nature, we are children of wrath. There are unintentionally and intentionally things that come into our mind. There are things that we do that are sinful. When we are truly holy and blameless, we're not going to be able to sin, let alone be predestined to do so because God ordains all things and the big argument you'll hear is that if God ordains all things then he is the creator of sin now if you want to say he's the author of it absolutely Because, again, he ordains all things. So everything that Satan has and will do has already been ordained by God to take place. So he is the author of sin. However, he is not the creator of sin. Sin is not a separate creation from good. Um... Sin is the perversion of goodness. This is why, in the end, when there's a new heaven and new earth, sin will not exist again. Because sin could never have existed in the first place unless it could pervert goodness. Or, or unless goodness could be perverted to be sin. Um, you know, they're not on two totally different planets. Yes, they are two totally different acts. But if you take good and pervert it, you have evil. If you take peace and pervert it, you have chaos. If you take any of the fruits of the Spirit and pervert them, what do you have? Sins. All sorts of them. Evil. All sorts of it. Now, I'm going to continue the passage. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Now, this is a big thing, too. The us in Ephesians 2, just like everywhere else in Scripture, Is not written for all people. It's written for all those who are predestined to be saved by the Lord. You go look at every letter written in the New Testament, and you tell me that it's not written the saints, the elect, the beloved, etc. You'll have to prove that those letters were written. For every single human being on the face of this planet, you have to prove that. And you're not going to be able to. So now we see without any shadow of a doubt that not only does God have the decision upon a person's salvation, but more importantly, he loves those he saves. Since we know that he loves those he saves, Is His love unconditional, or because we made the grade? Now, I urge you to read all of Romans 9, but I chose to give you Romans 9, 6-14 for time purposes. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all And not all who are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. Or excuse me. And not all are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born, and had done nothing either good or bad. In order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. Now most people who read that passage, some of them may back away and think, before they were even born, before they ever did anything good or bad, he loved Jacob and hated Esau. would i if i had two children right and i knew they were going to be born i knew what they were going to be doing i pretty much set out who they were going to be and what all they were going to do would i as a human which by the way i would not be able to do any of these things but The point is, would I be able to love and hate my children and there not be any injustice? No. God is the only one that is not subject to any law. Follow me here. If God is not subject to the law, Then not only is he able to do this, he is able to hate others, show wrath, do whatever he wants, and still be just. Absolutely. Most who claim to love Christ quite honestly hate his word in this particular passage. But nonetheless, we see that there is nothing autonomous from ourselves to help God, force God, or convince God to give any of us eternal life, let alone eternal damnation. He literally does as he pleases. He is holy because he is not subject to following the standard of the law he himself writes on our hearts. Again, the law... Was written to the ones saved out of Egypt. Catch that. So, again, the law was written for the ones saved out of Egypt. You know what that means? That means that God does not love everybody. If He loved everybody, He would have saved everybody from Egypt. He would have saved everyone in Egypt and probably stayed in Egypt. There would be no reason to take them to another land. But that's not how The record shows it. We know that in Pharaoh, his purpose for Pharaoh was to show God's power in him. Raffle power. Okay? He has and will do whatever he wants to do. Because he is good, and his purpose for doing what he wants to do can only be good. Evil is the perversion of what is good. It's not a separate law from one who only wished he could be God, a.k.a. Satan. It's the corruption of the standard that God has set forth into people's hearts. People whom he chooses to serve a purpose of honorable use, and be zealous for good works, then one day to eternity we will be given the spotless white garment washed in the righteousness of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. For clarification, blood and righteousness are used in the Bible for each other. So, if you've ever wondered what receiving the blood of Christ actually meant, it meant receiving His righteousness. It means that Christ is Has stepped in your place in front of God the judge, and because of Him doing this, you have now been justified. Because if you look in Revelation, this is before the great white throne comes out of heaven, so I believe it's Revelation 19 those who partake in the first resurrection, which is everyone who will be saved at that point, they are going to be reigning with Christ for a thousand years. You heard me correctly. Those who are saved by the Lord based on nothing they did, good or bad, will not be judged based on anything they did, good or bad. If you notice, the people who are judged by the Lord on the great white throne is everyone else. And what are they judged by? What they did, good or bad. Because they rejected Christ. If they would not have rejected Christ, which he predestined them to do that, but if they would not have rejected Christ, they would not have been judged based on what they have done. They would have been saved. And they would have been able to judge with the Lord and remove sin and iniquity for a thousand years to help um, establish the new heaven and new earth of Christ God has no reason to change for anyone or anything he has said or change anything he has set his mind on God was not told by anyone around him what he eternally knows so where does the knowledge he possess come from Are we supposed to believe that somehow the knowledge existed before God could possess it for himself to know it? On top of that, he knows all things, but some of them he supposedly has no action in. No one wards off the Lord's hand. God can literally do all things and still be holy. We cannot. Everything he knows comes from himself. There is no unconditional love from God unless you accept the truth in Scripture from Romans 9 of unconditional election before the foundation of the world. Here's why. When God comes down out of heaven, As Jesus Christ. At his second coming. If you believe on him. You're going to be coming with him. You're going to be holy and blameless. And you know something? Did you know. That in our sinful nature right now. If we show wrath to somebody. We're sinful. But. Those coming out of heaven. Who are holy and blameless. Are going to be used for God's wrath upon those who receive God's wrath? Did you know that? Like there's no other way around it. There's no other way around it. And that's the fundamental thing that Roman Catholics miss about their salvation. But more importantly, his truly unconditional love. They believe his love is conditional. But it's not. You could, you could pray a prayer of repentance a hundred thousand times. But if God never grants you repentance you will never receive repentance. And how do you receive repentance? Other than God granting it to you? You receive repentance for sins that are already forgiven. That's the difference between repentance and the sacrament of penance. You see, I'll touch on this. Penance is when you go to a priest who claims to be in the place of Jesus Christ at that very moment through their sacerdotal uh, consecration and you're confessing sins that are already forgiven. But in penance, you're confessing them as if they've not been forgiven already. which is not in Scripture. This is also why the Roman Catholic Church holds on to purgatory. There is no purgatory. You know why there's no purgatory? Because anyone that Christ saves, their sins in full, from life to death, are forgiven. They're on the back of Jesus Christ. The only way purgatory works is if Christ did not die for all sins. And if you go look, that's exactly what it says. And also, if there was a purgatory and all people went there, all people would end up in heaven eventually, aka universalism. If you ever want to find out who it was that first came up with universalism, look no further than the Papa in Rome is to get people in the seats it has nothing to do with divine grace. There's no excommunication in the true church. If, if you know 100% that you are right, you don't need a counter-reformation. You let the ones who believe they are right be. You may try to console them on it, but after so many times of talking to that person if they still reject it, you must leave them alone and move on. That's scripture. That's the truth. And that's another lie of the Roman Catholic Church. That you can receive the Holy Spirit and lose the Holy Spirit hundreds of thousands of times. And then once you've done your duty in purgatory or you're even uh, um, what's it called canonized as a saint only then will you receive salvation and truly have the Holy Spirit. It's a lie. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance according to scripture. That means when a person receives the Holy Spirit Number one, they did not achieve the Holy Spirit. But more importantly, the Holy Spirit never leaves, never forsakes you. You know why? The Holy Spirit is God Himself. Is God your backdoor man? Is God your prostitute? I dare ask if you claim you can lose them a hundred thousand times before you ever actually make it to heaven, that's what you're calling them. Also the word um in the Greek for guarantee is Arabon. And Arabon is used for an engagement ring and it's fitting because the the benefit of salvation is not being holy and blameless it's being in marriage to the Lord it's an engagement ring if you have the Holy Spirit you will be saved because you're already saved according to the promise. There's no such thing as losing your salvation. Number one, because it was decreed from above before the foundation of this world that you wouldn't lose salvation, that you would receive salvation. And on top of that, We have not received that yet. I believe by faith I have received the Holy Spirit. I know for a fact if I have the Holy Spirit and I believe by faith I do in Jesus Christ, then I'm going to receive salvation as He promised. That's the difference. I'd like to read this passage to you. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted, grieved in the spirit like a wife of youth when she is cast off says your God for a brief moment I deserted you but with great compassion I will gather you in overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you says the Lord your Redeemer and that's from Isaiah 54 4 through 8 And again, knows the relationship. Uh, Some people try to claim that Israel and the church are two separate entities. That is a lie. Um, That is to hide the reality that the Zionist state of Israel is a legitimate state. It's not. That is not the promised inheritance of those who are saved by Christ. In fact, the majority of the people that live there today do not believe in Jesus Christ. They are only physically circumcised Jews. They are not spiritually circumcised Jews. And therefore, they are not true Jews at all. A true Jew, according to Galatians three. 24 through 29 is one who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ and who is saved by him. And as we saw earlier in Romans 9 6 through 14, not all of Israel are of Israel. Why? Because physical circumcision is not enough, it's not even a requirement. You could be uncircumcised physically and still be spiritually circumcised. Why do you think the gospel was preached to Gentiles? You think that the Bible was just written towards two different races on the planet in a physical sense? No. Jews and Gentiles are spiritual races. and i just found it uh, ephesians 1:13 through 14 in him you all you also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised holy spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory ephesians 1:13 through 14 So, the Holy Spirit cannot be lost, gained, or regained by our own efforts. And the the definition of our bond is full security backed by the purchaser who supplies sufficient proof they will fulfill the entire pledge or promise. So, once saved, always saved is true. But understand the context here. It's not because you chose it. It's because God did. And again, I reiterate, because this is very important. Uh, Jews and Gentiles are not physical ethnicities in the world. They are spiritual ethnicities. All human beings are descendants from Adam. And under the old covenant, the physical sign of circumcision signified whether or not that person was a Jew or Gentile. But it was only a pointer to the new covenant fulfilled in Christ, which is based off of spiritual circumcision. Who are those who are spiritually circumcised? Those who receive the promised Holy Spirit. Those who were predestined for salvation. Those who will not be judged by what they have done, good or bad. Because they were not predestined to salvation based on anything they did, good or bad. Since physical circumcision is only physically recognized trait is a is only a physically recognized trait that's why you can have a physically circumcised individual not be spiritually circumcised the same reason how you can have a physically uncircumcised person be physically be spiritually circumcised it's really not that hard to understand It may be hard to look around at this world and be like, wow, what do I do here? I see this with my own eyes, but I'm seeing in scripture that there's something else totally going on here. Which one do you do? Well, I dare ask, do you have God's grace? If you do then you have the Holy Spirit. And if you do, then that means you are spiritually circumcised. That means you are the true Jew in the sense of receiving the promise, inheritance. You are Israel. You are the church. You are the bride. You are the children of God. You are the friend of God. You are his beloved. You are his elect. And by the way, I'm going to end it here because it is Die Grace Alone versus Roman Catholicism but if you'll look into everything I just said you'll realize just how deceived the world truly is and also I want to leave you with something Very important. Um, When you claim yourself to be the representative of Christ on earth, you are contradicting the verse when Jesus says, All authority has been given to me on heaven. Earth. When you do that, you're fulfilling a certain title. The word Antichrist does not simply mean one who is against Christ. Muslims, the um, Jews, Buddhist, atheist. They're all openly against Jesus Christ as being the only way. Or even being a way. But the word Antichrist means in place of Christ. The only individual currently on the earth at this moment that calls himself the representative of Christ on earth is the Pope. The Pope is literally telling you to your face that he is the Antichrist. When he uses that pagan title of pontifex maximus it means supreme bridge builder who is the bridge between god and man jesus christ who built that bridge god And as we've seen already, Jesus Christ is God. Even Roman Catholics will say that. But therefore, the true supreme bridge builder is not the Pope. It's Jesus Christ. I will see you at the rebuttal round. God bless. No, I'm not. Quit being some bad me. What? Look how you talk to Damn Pat, look what I do for you. I take care of everything. And you gonna come at me like that. There's no reason for that. Are you dancing? No, it's not. I'm just telling you what you're doing. I'll tell you what I will do. I will take my ass inside, okay? And I won't bother you anymore. Well, you're saying things that aren't necessary. You no, know, Pat, I'm telling you the damn truth. The truth is the truth. And that's all there is to it. All you did this weekend is complain about that damn joke. And I'm working on And I tried to call on. the doctors and your gay damn Barbie and all this stuff because she's a fucking baggage. So, I guess you didn't know that, did you? She gets married. She is married to a woman. And it don't matter. But she complained about that toe all week. And I said, I'll call you doctor Monday. And I did. And I kept waiting on a call back. Call Tuesday. Still waiting on a call back. Call again today. Still waiting on a call back. But since your toe's fine, we're going to leave it at that. You're not going to jump me. Huh? You're not going to jump me, because I do everything I can for you, and you know that. But you're not going to do it. But I'm going to tell you one damn thing. You're going to wash them damn towels wash rag. No, you're not. You're going to wash them the next time after I do it tonight. Because all you're doing is keeping me up. He does talk to you overly though. He talks to you ugly, does he? What? All the time. Yeah. See, see, you i two You know, that's what Right. Next okay. well, time, I'm He thinks it is, but it's not. He thinks it is, but it's not. I'm not to I'm not sitting right there it needs to do with it